Beowulf is an epic Old English poem that has come to us through chance alone, sneaking its way through the ages like Grendel prowling the moors in a rolling fog. It gives us the themes of Tolkien and the Dungeons and Dragons tropes of monster slaying and treasure stealing. So picture yourself in a smoky Viking hall with a roaring fire throwing flickering light all around. Let these two skulls sing you a yarn while we sip mead and remember the good old days before the Christians stopped us from killing each other. It's time for episode 17 of Toasting the Classics, Beowulf. All right. Toasting the Classics. Toasting the Classics is back. And it, if it sounds funny, that's because it is funny. We're, we're doing a Zoom session again. <laughs> it is funny. I like that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, Dave, Dave felt that he had to uh, you know, get, go gallivant off into... Uh, yep. I'm in Virginia now. I'm stuck in the desert, but I spent all day with the kids. So I'm just beat. Kids will do that to you. Kids you're complaining, but aren't you going to Disney World like tomorrow? Day after tomorrow, thank you. Okay, but, all right, there we go. <laughs> but which which just means that I could have used the rest. That's all that means. You're, uh, affir- so you're affirming a- you're affirming my gripe session here. You're- there's a photo. There's a photo of me with Alex on my shoulders towards the end of our Disney World trip, mm-hmm. and I look like somebody from like you know the Tet Offensive, like after it's over. Like I just I'm like I'm just destroyed by five days of Disney World. Th- the thousand thousand yard stare is that thousand yard stare, yes, exactly. So I think it's stolen valor to say that, but I I I do get what you mean. But well welcome back toasting the classics. Uh Clint Lanier, David Dave MacArthur. And today we are doing Dave's pick. This is a book. It's a poem actually. It is it is but technically it, a poem. But it's is true. It, it, is a, it is a book, uh, and we're doing what, Dave? This is Beowulf, going back into the deep, the deep roots of British history, like we did even more so than with Macbeth. Although this yeah. would be historically right about the same time, I think. As Macbeth? no, this no, no not this would be earlier. It's, this earlier. would have been so. This would have been closer to the the time when Beowulf was written. Would have been fairly close to to Macbeth, the events of Macbeth, but. The time that it's take the time that it takes place is more like 700 AD, whereas or, or, or earlier. I, I kept reading sixth uh, century, which would be about 500. It could be anywhere, yeah. It could be anywhere um, after the because there's a couple of historical cues in mm-hmm. the poem actually. Like they mentioned the Franks and the Merovingian dynasty, so I think that's why people are like it's no earlier than the sixth century because right. those things didn't exist. Uh, right. Although I don't know, you know what? It was written later, so maybe it could just be a mistake. Yeah. Well, so, all of that, all of that is conjecture. <clears throat> I mean, what we know is, is that it's it's about a three thousand line poem. Uh, it's mm-hmm. set. It is definitely set in about sixth century, um, and uh, right. it, it's it focuses on the Danes. It's a Viking Norse um, epic. Uh, some people call it an epic. Uh, Tolkien called it something else. I can't remember. Analogy. Tolkien called it an analogy rather than an epic. I can um, see that. It's hmm. interesting. And, uh, and it and it's and it's influenced, uh, like you said. I mean, it's influenced just a, a, a ton of things, all the way up to and including, uh, you know, the the Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, oh yeah, absolutely, you know, absolutely. Tolkien himself I'm, was a was a translator of, of Beowulf. A um, translator, and and some would say like like a popularizer, like yeah. not not popularizer, yeah. but like brought it back into current academic thought, basically, right. like right. Beowulf was kind of lingering a little bit and Tolkien did a really big translation and interpretation of it. Right. I don't know, in the 20, 20s or 30s, maybe. I'm not sure. Yeah, where. that sounds about right. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's all, I mean, Lord of the Rings is just covered with Beowulf. It's, yeah. it's, it's all throughout. And I didn't realize his connection to it. So that's that. I mean, I'd learned about it while we were, while I was doing my background for this, but I didn't know about it before. It totally makes sense though. As you were um, reading I, it, as you were reading it, you didn't, you weren't getting that, so and so, son of yeah, so yeah, and so, yeah. you know, the with the brave mantle of the of the manly warrior in the Absolutely. gold, you know, whatever on his on well, his I and blah blah blah. I read it. I read it. Twelfth uh, grade English class, mm-hmm. um, and I definitely even then I was like, oh, this is D and D. 
this yeah. is where D comes from yeah. i didn't i actually was not terribly familiar with tolkien at that time mm. i read the hobbit when i was a kid and didn't actually read the lord of the rings books until not long before the films came out i was sort of like you know what it's about time i read these books so i read them um yeah, I was about to say. So I didn't, yeah I, I wasn't really familiar with them as much when i read beowulf but dungeons and dragons the idea of going out and killing monsters and then taking their treasure it's, I was like, okay, that's what this is. This is this is the source <laughs> right. of the, this. Yeah. I was like, either somebody read this and then created yeah. Dungeons and Dragons from it, or this is just deep in the DNA of Northern Europeans yeah. that killing monsters and taking their treasure would be a fun thing to do. Well, and, and so and that's also, what, I know. mean, I think D and I mean, a lot of the the stories or tales or adventures start with there's a monster giving people problems, and yeah, and you and have they to start go, in a bar. And you have it to always go, starts in a bar, yeah, and you have to go kill the monster, and you uh-huh. know, and and then you end up taking the treasure and stuff like that. So, should we back up? Do you want to give a synopsis? We don't. I was thinking that. I was thinking that. Yeah, this and actually compared to some of the things we've talked about before, this is pretty easy to summarize. So it's a it's a an epic heroic story told in a long poem. Takes place in like three main chapters, which is. Beowulf fights Grendel, the monster that's terrorizing the Hall of Hrothgar and killing all of his men, then has to go and fight Grendel's mother because Grendel's mother gets revenge on the same people, then becomes king, grows up, gets old, is king for 50 years. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking about this. He must be in his 70s. Right. I was thinking that too. At, in the last least, part. Yeah. Uh, when a dragon terrorizes the kingdom of the Geats, he goes out and fights the dragon and meets his death fighting the dragon. Right. It's a pretty straightforward story. Uh, That's it. In fact, mostly it's the uh, the themes and the language and things like that. The story itself is pretty fun, you know. Especially, I imagine, if it was told the way that it once was, which is everybody sitting around the mead hall with one of these, you know, bardic people. I think they're called scops in this particular culture, but like singing this song and performing it in front of everybody. This would be fun, you right. know. This would be this would be like watching the Lord of the Rings film, mm-hmm. and I don't know. How long do you think it takes to read a 3,000 line poem? So that's a good question. Um, Well, a couple of things. Uh, First of all, I don't know what uh, translation you had. So that's a good question. We should talk about that. Which one is yours? Oh, gosh, that's a good question, too. Uh, Hold on. Mine is. Did you do Burton Raffle? No, this is uh, Chauncey Brewster Tinker, PhD, uh, from from Yale College. Did you have a reason for going with that one or is that just uh, what was available? That was available. Okay. Um, okay. But I think, I, I don't, I don't think you can do the old English actual poem justice. And it wasn't a poem in like rhyming schema that we might think of, but it, it no, had, it didn't rhyme. Yeah. It had a, it had alliteration though. And it, and it would, and it would, and it would uh-huh. almost be a sing songy type of, do type you of, understand? So, I, I saw that and I'm really very bare bones knowledge of poetry. So I saw the term alliteration used. And my first thought was like, are you telling me every line of this poem starts with the same letter? Cause that's what alliteration means to me. Yeah. And I looked it up. It's not what it is. It's some other poetic no. device. Did, do you understand what the poetic device of alliteration not, not is? Not entirely. It's, something, it's okay. something about how there's two halves to the line. Like there's, there's a, a caesura. Yeah. There's a, there's a pause in the middle right. of the line. I got that. Right. So, Maybe they, but maybe those two both start with the same sound. That would make sense. Maybe, or, or or just breaks it up enough. But I think the point is that if you were saying, I mean, this is this is an oral story, right? Uh, right, right. Before it was a, a written story, and so I was. Like, well, it took, it took me maybe just over two hours or so to read it. Just okay. reading it as a text. I think obviously, if you're performing it, it would be slower. Right. You'd pause on certain things and. And um, I know my speak when I read a book to my kids, it takes me a lot longer than it does when I read sure. it in my head. Right. But I think I think probably over the course of a long evening or two evenings, you could probably get through it if you're performing or, it. Or or maybe a few. I mean, I think set the scene here. I mean that the the Norsemen uh, or the Norse, uh, you know, the, these right. uh, these mead halls that it takes place in. It's uh, it's called. Uh, oh, the one that he's in is Hjantor Hrantor. Hirat. 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 Right, right, right. So, but they have this meat hall, and it's a big gathering hall, and they have a big feast there, and the and the king mm-hmm. is there, and and all the 
I think it's everybody there, not just the not just the warriors, but I think it's more of a gathering community hall type of thing. But you know, during during the winter, um, we're talking about a place that was dark for you know months at a time, snowed in. Yeah. Um, and what what they would typically do is they would forage all summer, stock up for the winter, and just really do nothing all winter but feast. And so I can see sounds on, like a good time. You right. I can see on a cold night, big fire going. You know, they have a big feast and he calls out the, uh, the what did you call him? A scop and scope, uh, yeah. a scope. And I don't, I don't, I mean, I'm pronouncing that based on what a, I read. A bard, as well. right? Right? A bard, a bard. Or something like that. Yeah. yeah. A skull and, or a and, bard. Yeah. And he comes out and he recites, you know, good hours worth or something like that. And that would be kind of like the evening part of the evening festivities. And then right. the night they're going to do it again and he'll recite. Yeah, it. Leave him on, leave him on a cliffhanger. Right. Wouldn't yeah, that be exactly. good? Like, you know, right. that, I think that, that sounds good. I've got a really vivid. So I've always had a really vivid mental picture of what one of these mead halls would look like. Yeah. And so, you know, so it's, it's just an evocative image anyway, but I went uh, on a trip to Europe, to Italy one year with, with my yeah. wife and, and we had a layover in Stockholm and we decided, you know, it was a long enough layover that we were like, we're going to go downtown Stockholm and walk around and see what Stockholm's like. And it was very quiet. There wasn't much going on, but there was a Viking bar. Oh, cool. And we were like, you know, it looked like something from Disney World. So I was like, all right, this is super corny, but we're going to go in here anyway. So we went into this Viking bar that had like a big, you know, like it, it was made to look like an ancient mead hall out front. And we went in and it was mostly a basement bar with this intricate winding rooms with like benches in the corners and like fires burning in different rooms and stuff like that. And I was thinking like, this is real. This is really neat to see as an American. I'm sure this is super corny, but we got we got a couple of drinks. And they had bards come out and start singing and they started playing. And these Swedish kids were singing along with every word of these Viking songs and some of them in costume and stuff. And they were not American and not, not tourists, or at least not tourists from other countries. I was blown away with how cool it it ended up being, despite looking super corny outside. It was a really neat experience. Like I would, if anybody's ever in Stockholm, like downtown Stockholm, I highly recommend going to this Viking bar. It was a really cool experience. Like very what, what cool. And it? that that's what is that, it called? That would be, I don't know, but you'd know it if you're walking around Gamla Stad, yeah. like downtown Stockholm. Mm-hmm. You'll see this Viking bar. It's very obvious. Like I said, looks like something from the Norway Pavilion at Epcot Center. <laughs> it looks. It, it does not look. Uh, it looks like it would not be cool, but it totally was. I highly recommend it. Um, yeah, and I that's think, pretty much the re- that's the region where Beowulf would be fun. Right, from, I yeah. think so- southern Sweden, pretty much. Um, that's where Stockholm is. So, well, Denmark, not too far yeah. from there. Right. Yeah, Denmark, Sweden. Well, he's he's a, he's, he, he's from southern Sweden, uh-huh. and then he go he goes to Denmark, uh-huh. and I, I think that's where he fights. That's where all this fighting goes on is in Denmark. He goes to help the Danes. Yeah, the, the first- Danes that he's. Or they just talk about the Danes as an enemy, and he's actually in another part of Sweden. No, I think I think they are the Danes. I think that he's okay. he's a geet, and he's Danes, a geet. Yeah, the, the Danes are their friends. Hrothgar is a is a Dane, I believe. Um, okay, okay, all right. So then they call them Sildings, Skild, Skildings, Sildings. Yeah, Shieldings or something like that. Yeah, I don't mm-hmm. know. I think that's a family name, according to okay. according to my book. In fact, that's a family, but I don't know what. I don't. Maybe I don't know exactly where they're from, but. Uh, anyway, it's pretty similar to where he would be from, the place that I was in. So I thought that was kind of cool. Well, before we move on, uh, let's see. Should we uh, break into a trusty drink? So what are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a bottle of mead, of course. Um, that is the drink of these ancient peoples. And oh. um, I thought about doing beer, you know, just we haven't done a beer episode in a while but uh, yeah. that definitely i mean they're talking about mead all through this this is course, yeah, this yeah. is this is probably the classic we've read that is the most obvious choice for what to do because <laughs> sure, mead sure. mead is not only drunk constantly in a store but they're in a mead hall yeah one of one of grendel's one of grendel's epithets is wrecker of mead benches you know <laughs> yeah, which right, doesn't right. is a really is yeah. a really like random thing well, it's more of a, it's about, more of a cultural um, more of a cultural thing right what what kind of mead are you drinking so that the people can uh, it's called this is Carol's C A R R O L L S. It is a sweet honey wine, eight percent alcohol by volume, and uh, it is an Irish, an Irish mead. Irish mead, okay. Because I, because it just like in Beowulf, mead is, was very big in ancient Ireland as well. Um, so, so I'm drinking, 
I'm drinking a canned mead. Canned mead, okay. And this is a sparkling mead. I've never had a sparkling, a fizzy mead before. Oh, so interesting. Your, yours is probably much more realistic. This has had some CO2 pumped into it, but this is Chaucer's Sparkling Mead. Oh, I, I, I almost got a bottle of Chaucer's. Okay. So I'm glad I didn't. Semi-dry, hard honey beverage with natural orange and ginger essences. Looking forward okay. to this. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, they, yeah, they injected it with CO2. So it's the same thing. They just made it sparkly. Right. So we shouldn't change that? things. <laughs> I did. I did. That was quite <laughs> impressive. Now, I don't think to... that should change things too much, right? I mean, uh, having the, it's still, still essentially the same drink. And I am um, I'm pouring it into my butter beer. <laughs> oh, like a Harry mug. Potter butter yeah. beer. Yeah. That's only what I could find. I, I, I looked, I could not find any like traditional mugs with handles. They're all like pint glasses. Cheers. Cheers. I haven't actually poured mine. Um, does yours have oh. any additives or is yours just fermented honey? Let's see. Uh, bu- 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 because uh, from what I hear, there's all kinds of different things that can be put into mead. So this has uh, uh, this has filtered water, 100% organic honey, tartaric acid, whatever that is, yeast, mm. sulfites to preserve freshness, natural ginger essence, natural orange essence, and okay. CO2, okay. So there's some additives and CO2. So you so you've got some floral additives, some some yeah, yeah. fruit additives. Okay, so. And then there's yeast. That's too. That's how you get the fermentation process, right? right? Yeah, absolutely. God, that's okay. Really so, good. so honey. So mead, and and correct me because you're the expert in this, but I just thought I'd do a little bit of reading about it. So, mead is essentially fermented honey. Yep. It's a it's it's a wine, but it's made of honey instead of honey, grapes. honey water and honey water and yeast. Yeah. I saw a couple, and I almost got them that had hops in them because yeah. you can add all kinds of other things into the process. Yeah. Um, but I decided to go with what I thought seemed to be like a pretty pure version yeah. that would be similar, similar to what they drank there. Right. And you know, um, you know what's interesting? Um, just as a quick aside, uh, every, every culture in the world that has had natural honey has made mead. Every mm-hmm. single one. It sounded um, like it. I read about yeah. it being from, it's big in Russia. Of course, Russia was founded by the Vikings. Right. So there's, that's, but, but they the, probably, but the native, the native Slavs probably. The Greeks, the Greeks drank it. The, the Romans Greeks drank, drank it. it. You know, uh, Africa, yep. down in Africa, they found mead evidence. Ethiopia. Yeah. Ethiopia had, had a honey and, had, um, and that's, but that would be like kind of involved in the rest of the, um, the ancient world. Like Ethiopia is connected to that world more than right. what we think of, but in South Africa, Mm-hmm. The the Tosa people also made mead, so yeah. it's like something. It's pretty much worldwide. This is pretty much all over well, Eurasia. With, with exactly, I don't know about America. Didn't have honey. I didn't. Yeah. Have um, so yeah, that's. Oh, I didn't actually know that. I knew. Right. I knew they said that there wasn't any in the Americas, but were there no bees at all in the no, Americas? Uh, Europeans brought bees to to America. Isn't that odd? That is super odd. That is super super strange. Huh? Maybe there, there, are, there are other pollinating insects, but. It, well, that's probably why we have hummingbirds. There are no hummingbirds in the old world. Right. So probably probably the fact that we didn't have bees. I can't believe That's weird. I can't believe I didn't know that. How interesting. But yeah. Okay. Well, that's really cool. Um, so, so I wanted to have this answered if you, if you can. What, what does fermentation mean? What does fermentation mean? Yeah. What, is that, what does that mean? So it, it, I think it's, it denotes the process of the yeast eating sugar or ingesting sugar okay. and, and expelling as a result ethanol. Uh, yeah ethanol and carbon dioxide those are the two things that it, it expels and so i always tell my my kids that it that it pees alcohol and it, and it farts co2 and, okay. and that's really what it's what it's doing um but huh. kids, kids love it because they can visualize that but yeah but it's it's eating sugar and so imagine something like like honey, you know, honey right. is a, it's a very complex, very complex carbohydrate, right? But it's, it's, it's super sweet, lots of sugar. Um, so they just love it. And, uh, and that's why yours, what, how, how strong is yours? Only 8%. What? I gather it's 8%. Okay. And so mine's, I gather, mine's I gather, seven. I gather it can range from like three or four all the way up to like 20. Yeah, and right. so I and I've had I've actually a friend and I made the twenty around the twenty percent, and it's super dry. It tastes almost like a brute champagne. I'm like super super dry. Huh. Um, 
champagne is really kind of what it what it tastes like i want to try um, making mead by the way that's like something for some reason i've never really gotten the bug about creating beer but for yeah. some reason this this sounds more simple and more interesting to me and i kind of want yeah. to try it honey wine so, honey wine is fun and you can do a lot with it because we did uh we did a lot of different flavored um meads so you can do like because you throw some other fruit in there and it'll, it'll right grab those and, and kind of flavor yeah um, did you use hops no, we never used hops. Um, we were okay. trying to make it a little bit more traditional. So it was just the honey, water, and yeast is, is really all it was. Um, it's good stuff, though. And it's, 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 it's not too difficult to make. It does take a long time. I think the, okay. the fermentation process on it, I think, is six or eight weeks long. It, it takes a, a long time to make it. So how do you initiate the process? It's just when there's yeast in the honey, it'll start fermenting? Hmm. But you probably or you have to do something else. Well, you probably well you're going to mix it with water because you got to water it down. Um, okay. The honey by itself is too thick, so you're going to mix it. And and this is what the recipe is. It's probably going to be like you know, one part honey to two parts water or something like that. And and to do it, you're gonna you're gonna warm up the warm it up. Maybe not boil it, or or maybe you'll boil it, and and you'll mix it so that and you'll boil it so that it 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 really mixes into the water and becomes very sure. uh, you know um very viscous right and exactly. then once that once that's done you can pitch the yeast which means throw it in yourself or which is what the vikings did is they would just put it in a vat put it outside uncovered and yeast would naturally land on it because yeast is everywhere in the air and okay. and they would just kind of believe most cultures believe that it kind of like was divinely transformed oh, yeah, into this yeah. stuff you know right um, they just put it out there because they can't see it. Next thing you know, it's bubbling. A few weeks later, it it'll you know get you drunk. So and it has a you know it has a um, a lot of uses. Obviously, good for for making you feel better, but also it preserves. You know, it's got it's got a shelf life, especially if you know if water was scarce or water was dirty or something like that, or if you kept water in barrels like wooden barrels, it water will actually spoil. Uh, it'll go bad, become tepid, and 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 uh, or not tepid. That's not the word. Um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Brackish. Stag. Yeah, stagnant. Stag brackish. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Or, yeah, stagnant, not brackish either. Um, but it'll just it'll become bad, and but okay, something like a an alcohol will will keep right. Yeah. So again, if you're if you're locked up, uh, you know, for for weeks at a time during the winter, you want to have something that'll that'll keep that you can drink that you know won't spoil. Um, also, if I do. You, also, if I you, do uh, want that. You do want that. Also, if you're on a ship, right, and and you're out, uh, you know, your days at sea, you want you you, you can't uh -huh. clear the water because again, it'll it'll spoil. I'm drinking mine uh, room temperature, by the way. Oh, yeah. I uh, I sort of looked it up to see what the recommendation was about whether you should chill it or not, and it said basically you can do whatever you like. And I figured it's not like Beowulf would have been able to refrigerate his mead, so I figured I'd drink it at room temperature, and you know. True. Although, although I, I guess they could have just put it outside. <laughs> probably quite cold there. Um, yeah. Oh, we didn't do it. Hey, by the way, skull, skull, skull. That's right. We have to do these when when yeah. this when whatever culture we're doing has an actual toast. We should definitely do it. Absolutely. But I forgot the I forgot the Gaelic one we did already. But um, <laughs> so so we so we were talking about the other books of Michael Crichton, right? Mm -hmm. The yeah. last, the last episode we did. Uh, you're, did you're, you gonna ever, up, you're gonna bring up thirteen, thirteenth warrior or whatever that stupid thirteenth warrior. Yeah, like so. Uh, that's like bait. That's based on Beowulf to a large extent. Yeah. But it's also based on, and I might get this wrong, but I believe it's the travels of Ibn Fadlan. There's, there's two right travel travelers with very similar names, mm -hmm. and I, and I might be mixing it up. But anyway, one of yeah. them is a, a, a somebody who went to go visit the Vikings at that time period. Yeah. And there's, there's a bit in there. Um, in the film, and I, I can't remember if it's in the book. I did actually read the book Eaters of the Dead. It was much better than the movie. But in the film, the Arab guy mm -hmm. is like refuses to drink the mead, mm -hmm. and they're like, "No, you can drink mead because the Quran says that you can't drink something that's made. It's you know made from. You can't drink beer. You can't drink wine. You can't drink something that's fermented from the grape or 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 beer." Mm -hmm. and, and they're like, this, this is honey, so you can drink it. And he's like, oh, okay, and gets drunk. <laughs> so I actually looked that up, and uh, it, that's, most Muslims do not agree with that. Yeah, I, I would imagine they, yeah. you know, just because they didn't know about it, I think the spirit of the, of the, right. of the law. The spirit, was, is, 
the spirit is don't get hammered. It's yeah, bad exactly. for you. Um, right, so, right. so you're not. So yeah. any Muslims who are listening, that's my uh, educated priestly opinion on Islam. I think that's probably a, that's probably a good one. Yeah, yeah. That was a, that was an interesting book, interesting uh, movie um, with Antonio Banderas as the uh, mm-hmm. as the Arab guy. We know what's interesting about that. There, you know, there was a lot of trade between, and this is what Crichton liked to do. We like to find all these connections and, and uh-huh. bring them together. And so there was a lot of trade between the Middle East and, and the Vikings. Um, sure. it, it was, it was completely, you know, within the realm of possibility that they would have been visited by many people. As a matter of fact, there was a, there's a documentary about a famous Viking sword that was found like in a bog or something in maybe Iceland. And, okay. and it, this sword was, they, they looked into it and the sword is a pretty long sword but it, it had the traditional Viking look, right? With the big, you know, uh, the, the big hilt and the big handle, the ball at the end, you know, and, and mm-hmm. the sword that really right. didn't taper. It just started off really wide and stuff. And I started looking into it and it turned out this was like a Damascus steel um, made, oh, yeah. made in Syria. It would have been made in uh-huh. Syria at like, you know, 580 or something like that. And they sure. talked about how much more powerful it would have been versus you know, the swords that other Vikings would have used at the time that they had had kind of metal sure. themselves and how it yeah, would Damascus happen. steel Damascus steel was um you could uh you could you could shape it a lot easier and it could be a lot lighter and more resilient right. than another blade. It was um, folded. So, so they would they would hammer it out and then fold it and hammer it out and fold it and fold it. And fold but it, it was also it's also it's only modern scholars in like the 1960s and 70s who found that what it is is it's actually a different source of iron. The ingots that they used to make Damascus steel were like one specific place that has a certain amount of is it I think it's selenium. And when there's selenium in the blade it creates this Damascus steel thing and it's just a, it's just a better right. it's just a better metal. And and essentially like a, the, what they did with the, they were good sword makers, you know, they were some of the best sword makers, but the really, the thing that really set it aside was the quality of the metal. Yeah. So exactly. yeah, easily something that any, a Viking would have wanted and definitely yeah. would have made its way to Scandinavia yeah. during the dark right. ages. So, I mean, it would have been, yeah, I think there would I can't have been remember that. the name of the documentary. I'm sure it's on Netflix or one of the others. Um, and just look it up and watch it sometime. It's a, it's a really good documentary about, I've seen um I've it's seen Viking possible. artifacts with um with Arabic inscriptions on them. Interesting. Because okay. because they did you know they did talk to people from that part of the world as we said and so they so there's actually like Viking artifacts that have like some Arabic writing inscribed on them. So that's pretty pretty, inter- pretty interesting cross culture because a lot of it is before the Vikings were Christian. Yeah. So they really didn't have any you know any more bigotry towards the towards the Muslims than they did right. towards other Europeans. So they were just conversing with them freely. Right. <clears throat> which is a really interesting question about Beowulf, by the way, which is how Christian is this? Right. Yeah. Right. Cause there's quite a few biblical references, mm-hmm. like a lot, like Grendel is descended from Cain, for instance. Right. And there's like, the, the author's always talking about the Lord, this and the Lord that, you know, like you yeah. know, bestowed upon me the right to win this battle and things like that. But there's not a lot of specific Christian talk. There's definitely a Judeo Christian, you know, Old Testament feel yeah. to some of this language, but I don't really pick up on anything particularly Christian, yeah. which is pretty interesting because definitely they ended up being Christian. Well, I, thought, it, I thought that was the the question is is okay. So it was was it it was either written before because they didn't like five six hundred I think even seven hundred Christianity wasn't introduced to them yet. So if it was written in that period, then that means that the Judeo Christian references would have been added afterwards you know um in in subsequent you know uh revisions and stuff and if it was if if it was written afterwards then they would have just kind of been 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 put in as it was one thing to remember one thing to remember about this work vis-a-vis christianity is that this work was written while it takes place in scandinavia it was written in england yes probably probably somewhere in the middle of england um, where the date of conversion to Christianity is much, much earlier yeah. than the date of conversion to Christianity in Scandinavia. That's true. It, by, by the 7th and 8th century, people are Christian in, in England. So, was, it, was it written in England? I mean, they, so the, the it, was, one... it was written in Old English. It was written oh. in Old English, um, and it would have been, the theory is that I think they said Mercia, so not far from London, um, right. kind yeah. of northwestish of London, I think. Um, yeah. It, it, well, I mean, 
I don't know. It's still a little bit speculative because we are yeah. saying that based on the fact that we, we only have one manuscript and that was East England in, you know, and, and it was mm-hmm. found in England, but, and it was written in old English, but it was, it's written in old English, but it has, it uses a lot of words and terminology that are not old English. They are, they're Norse, you know, or they're Danish or they're, yeah, and so, well, and so it, so has you've a, got, it has a good mixture. So, you, so you've got that invasion, right, that's taking place in the, uh, you know, 6th and 7th centuries. There's right. this invasion of Danish peoples um, into, and Norse peoples into England. And so the language becomes that. They, they, they drop the British language. They drop the Gaelic tongues, you know, before that. Yeah. So the vernacular, it's weird that it's not written in Latin. That's the weird thing that somebody wrote something. I didn't write it in Latin because well, people like, like the venerable bead, right. He's writing in like, I don't know, 800 AD, maybe yeah. 750 AD. Mm. He writes in Latin. He doesn't write in old English. Well, that might be, that might be, <clears throat> that might be because this is written by commoners for commoners. Wasn't which is pretty by, cool. Yeah. It wasn't written by the court for the court. Which is pretty that. cool when you think about it. Cause I, so here's, here's like my theory of why I think it takes place after the after Christianity is introduced, I think that this story is being told to Christian people who idealize and are fascinated with the pagan past, the way that we're fascinated with the old West, right? Like it's like this time when everything was much wilder and crazier, and everybody was killing each other. And they're like they want they want to hear about that time. They don't want to live in that time. They're done with those times. Those times are behind them. But they love hearing about it, right? And so. And I think like, I actually think, and this may be a bridge too far, but I think that the story of Grendel and the story of Grendel's mother mm-hmm. are metaphors for the, the violence that took place in that pagan society. So Grendel sneaks into the mead hall at night after everybody gets drunk and falls asleep and kills people, right? And I think that like represents the violence that used to exist in that society where people would get drunk, slash each other's arms and legs off in the middle of a fight. And so this new like Christian influenced king comes in to wipe out that monster. And then the mother who comes back to avenge the death of Grendel is like a metaphor for the constant like cycle of violence. If somebody gets killed and then we have, then they have to kill somebody. And then that person has to kill somebody. And it's like, two bad things about the ancient pagan society that are represented as monsters in this epic poem. That's like my, my theory for it that I was coming up with while I was reading it. I don't know. That's not, you know, and the, then the dragon at the end though. I don't know. The dragon, maybe I think, I think the dragon is pretty clear representation of greed hmm. because it's all about the dragon sitting on a pile of gold and somebody stealing the gold from the dragon sets off the dragon. The dragon attacks everybody. I don't know, maybe Beowulf sacrificing himself to fight that dragon is like a Jesus metaphor. I was getting the Jesus metaphor metaphor pretty strongly there, but okay. I think all of that I need entirely more mead <laughs> to really, yeah. really, really yeah. get into that. Fair enough. I, I don't know. Fair I mean, enough. you know, it's it's so it is hard to say. I mean, everything we, we say, it's it's all total guesswork. Um, I think taking it at face value, what you've got is you've got a look or some insight into if it, you know even if this was written in england it was still written within a few hundred years of that thing going on of, of whatever went on at the time right right so it would be it would be akin to us writing a story now about the pilgrims you know or something like that and we're just thinking like like billy the kid be like talking yeah, about billy the something kid. like, like that. Not, not that and, long ago and you know? we know yeah we know enough about them where if we told the story now we have good insight on what that life was like. Now we can, we can add accolades and talk about Billy going to church or whatever we want to, you know, or turn him into something right. else. But the you fact could, is, yeah. the fact is a thousand years from now, somebody could read that <clears throat> and say, okay, this is what life was like for the most part for these, mm-hmm. these people that lived there. You know, this is what they were going through and stuff like that. And if that's true, then it was a pretty, it's not chivalry, but uh, I don't know, noble maybe time and See, I, you know i think it's i think it's like not to be too pointed about it but i think it's like the opposite of chivalry i think it's i think that's why people are fascinated with it because it's this toxically masculine culture hmm. it's this 
striving for glory and like violence at the drop yeah. of a hat. And well, like, um, it's, it's like a lot of, it's like, it's actually a lot, like a lot of things we're fascinated with in film today. Like people are fascinated with like mafia movies. People right. are fascinated with things about the old West. People are interested in stories of war. They're, the people are interested in times that were much bloodier because there's a, there's a, there's an attraction to it. Mm -hmm. And especially I think for young men, we're like, Oh, it'd but, be kind of, be kind of exciting to live. I've, but, just, I've just been watching fight club. So maybe I'm influenced by that. <laughs> maybe. It's, but um, how, how different, I mean, if this was written between seven and 900 AD, how mm -hmm. much different was that time from this though? I mean, it would have been just as bloody and barbaric. You know, Christianity is mean, a, Christianity is a big change. It's a big change in the way people yeah, live but, their lives. But, but you got, That's, the, I mean, you, you've got the crusades where it's like, you know, it's barbaric for, for a quote unquote noble purpose. And even chivalry was a guise sure. for, was a guise for, for, um, you know, barbarism, but for a noble yeah. cause type of thing. Right. So, Right. So, um, I think the Crusades, I think the Crusades were an attempt to export toxic masculinity. Yeah, you, you know, you had these, you had these guys running around hacking each other's arms and legs off. Yeah. And you're like, hey, why don't you go do that to the Muslims? Why don't you get out of here and yeah, go do that to the Muslims? The Muslims did a good enough job than themselves as well. I mean, they, they, they put Spain to the, to the spear and, and, and converted everybody at the point. Oh, uh, well, yeah. Well, it, yeah, it was really, I mean, I think the Christians were responsible for, for a lot more forcible conversion in Spain, for instance. Then. Uh, I think once once the Christians took back a town in Spain, I think things were a lot harder for people. Um, I, I mean, the Muslim strategy of conversion is usually long-term suffocation of mm -hmm. other people. You're not allowed to build that church. No, we're not going to murder you. But if you build that church, you have to pay us a gigantic tithe on it. And if you're you're allowed to live in our city, but you have to pay a tax just to exist. You know, things like that. It's like a, like a long-term suffocation rather right. than like a, yes, there's, there's the initial military conquest, obviously. Um, but I think it's more of a long-term thing. Like look at Egypt, Egypt still today has like 15 or 20% Christians. It's a pretty large number of people. And they've just managed to sort of slowly that, that number has been coming down ever since uh, what was it, 700 AD or whatever, when, when, the, when the Arabs conquered Egypt? I think that's more their strategy. I, I wouldn't have wanted to live in, I would not have wanted to, if I, was, if I was Jewish, let's say, I'd rather live in Muslim Spain than Christian Spain. Hmm. I think if you're a Jew in Christian well, that's Spain, you're in big trouble. When, you know? when, Isabel, when Isabel right, exactly. in France, yeah. But uh, that, all that aside, though, my point is that you're looking at only a few hundred years removed from when this happened. Right. I think I, I would I would argue that if this is written in England, England is probably just as bad, if not worse, in many ways, um, than that time was vis-a-vis -vis toxic, you know, masculinity and cutting each other's arms and legs off and stuff like that. So I don't know. I mean, I I, I would understand what you're saying about Christianity. It was still, I mean, it was still such a terrible uh, time to be anybody but one of the guys at the top. <laughs> you know? yeah. well yeah yeah the, the, the no, monty python thing is like you know that's the king why do you think he's a king well he's the only one not covered in crap you know so, yeah. so you know it's 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 i've, had, I've had this conversation yeah we did i've had we this did. conversation before uh, i was talking to a guy on twitter who's i follow like it's like a classical rome guy that talks about it a lot and he was talking about Nerd alert. I, I i was saying i don't really think the life of the average person in ancient rome mattered whether you lived in the old in the republic days the empire or after the fall of rome you were just as likely to be murdered by some army tromping through during the empire as you were you know i don't really think it matters if you're a poor person who you know it's fascinating we we do these historical studies of the elites that are in charge of things and that's fascinating stuff but i don't know that it really matters to anybody's yeah, the, life the, the majority you know, of the majority of the majority of people, majority were, of people. Yeah, they were not in that that uh that same group. And so for them, I think life is just as terrible, but mm -hmm. what I was saying, what I meant by, by insight into their life. And it was a very chival chivalric, chivalrous time, noble, maybe, I don't know. Whenever you address somebody, it was, Oh, MacArthur, the great, whose father hails from over here, who did all these wonderful things. We've heard so much about you and, and you, you, done this and you're such a friend and ally blah 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 and so it's it's what tolkien does whenever he describes any of his characters you know 
right. it gives you this whole resume of, of they all have a lineage of yeah of how wonderful they are not only their lineage but how big they are how strong they are and how you know they can take down you know two or three orcs with one blow or whatever it happens to be right right and so that's what they're that's what they did every time they address somebody that the the uh, the um the order whoever is telling the, the tale the bard would, would do this right because it's his voice that you're hearing this through so so we don't we don't have a narrator who's in the tale right we don't know who it is we, it's just a it's just like we, any other book that we, we would write well, today. It's, we assume it's kind of like Homer or or Virgil or something like that, you know, who's right. It's, it's the poet telling the tale. Right. I'm going to tell yeah. you a tale of, of this, you know, of, of Beowulf, of the great Beowulf. And and mm-hmm. so we'll, you know, it's this person telling us the tale. That's why it's an oral. I mean, it's, it's just like like I said, you know, the Iliad or the Odyssey or or the uh, you know, it, th- those are meant those are oral poems. Right, they were never written mm-hmm. down. They were never meant to be written. It was whole. Well, eventually, it's. I, I, I think it's like this. Eventually, eventually, they're written down. The Aeneid, however, mm-hmm. was definitely written first. It was not a. It was not a native epic poem. It was definitely right. like. Uh, sorry, Virgil sat down and specifically wrote this. Right, like one man created this, and that that's what. That's that actually apparently that's what that was Tolkien's contribution to the scholarship of Beowulf. Is his hypothesis was that this was one man that wrote this. Mm-hmm. That one guy sat down and wrote this to be at all at once, and I don't I don't know whether that's true or whether that's even a common belief today. I feel like probably like what you said, it's probably like Homer. Probably this goes back hundreds of years and has been slowly worked on and changed, and um, and that's how we get what we have today is what was written down. Tolkien, so, was, Tolkien was a linguist, wasn't he? By trade, it wasn't? Uh huh. Philologist. A philologist. Okay. Um, which is had had I known when I was a kid that that was a job, that's would, what I would have done, done in my life. I that's think, I think, philology I, sounds awesome. I think that that's what qualifies him to do this because he was looking at the old English and uh-huh. saying all of these words like sound you know are so much alike or or whatever the yeah, structure a, is. Yeah, there's like, a unit. There's you know, a unity of composition. Exactly. Couldn't have been multiple voices unless it was like so seamlessly done or something like that. But. Um, in any case, what were some other? I'm going to tell you real quick. Um, have you ever heard of of Hydrun? H e i d r u n. Hydrun. No, what's that? Hydrun is a goat in Norse mythology okay. who okay. who lives in Valhalla. Okay. And, and she gives an endless supply of mead from her udders. Fills uh-huh. a cauldron nice. every day, big enough for everybody in Valhalla to drink from it. So you'll always have mead in Valhalla because of Hydrun. So there, there are dungeons. There are items in Dungeons Dragons like that, by the way. That's a like comforting the thing thought. that just provides. Yeah, that would be great. That sounds. I don't know if I'm going to Valhalla though. The odds of me dying in battle are pretty slim. Although I think so, I, I would need to mix I, it up. I'd want like a dry mead one day, sweeter yeah, mead right. next. You know, you're not supposed like to a, look a gift goat. You don't look a gift goat in the teats, by the way. You just you just <laughs> take what you're going to get. <laughs> That's a good philosophy you, for you life. Don't complain. Kills yeah, me. exactly. You don't. Uh, yeah. Um. So, what what is your uh, like personal background with this? Like, did you read it as part of your studies, or just just did, like me, yeah, you just so, stumbled across right. it in high school? Or no, I, I read this in. Um, so, for my bachelor's degree, we had to take we took a class in. Old English, a class of Middle English, um, and I think a class in actually it was like it would have been like two classes in Middle English because we had to take a Chaucer, uh-huh. and Chaucer was taught in Middle English, and so we had to take Middle English before we took Chaucer, and so okay. Old English was a, an elective, and I took Old English. That's I, cool. I, I, wish I, I, yeah, I wish I'd studied that. That's really neat. And uh, what else? What else do you read in that class? Was Beowulf was, and then. Just looking that up, and I, I can't remember for the life of me. Um, I can find all the Middle English stuff, but um, I, I gathered there apparent. So, so this Beowulf comes from one extant copy of something from like the 10th century, and apparently on that scroll or folio or whatever it is, there's yeah. a poem appended to it, which is also in Old English. So, I think there are jibs and drabs of things that exist in Old English, but I think. If I were to guess, I'd say Beowulf might make up fifty percent of what we have in Old English. Yeah, I, I, that's just a that's just a guess, but that's the only thing I ever hear anybody talk about is uh, Old English. 
Elric's Life of King Oswald, which I think I read. Okay. Um, That's pretty cool. And, uh, That's cool stuff. That's a class I want to take sometime. I yeah, you know, those are, those are fun classes. It's, uh, it's, they, they do round you out. That's for sure. Yeah, um, I like them. But uh, I like. Good. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I, I guess I was just kind of getting back to talking about the, um, the ethos of this, right? Which is like we talked about it. Like, I like how there's just this assumption. And this is totally not Christian. Actually, you know what it is? It's a lot like what Nietzsche talks about with Christianity. It's like the assumption is that the, what you want to do in this world is get a lot of glory right like the viking the viking belief is that you have to fight and die in a battle in order to go to valhalla you need lots of glory and whatever treasures you build up follow you in the afterlife and stuff like that that's very different than a christian ethos and it is just all through this oh yeah so that that makes me feel like the christian stuff was just appended to it later yeah because the main the main storyline is just like Beowulf wants to go fight this monster and that's what you do because you have to get glory, you know, like, and the only, the only way to be powerful is to, is to, is to do things that people respect as virtuous. Although there is something to, you know, to consider that if you're looking at like six, 700 AD in Mm -hmm. Europe, especially in like Scandinavia, and if we, if we consider that maybe they were going through a transition to Christianity, um, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of kind of, Christian, there's a Christian, a myth in Christianity that a lot of the early leaders of the Catholic Church would use pagan holidays or pagan gods or sure. and, and use those holidays kind of in their, like Christmas is supposed to be a pagan holiday and they just kind of appended, you know, the birth of Christ onto that date because it was already a pagan holiday yeah. making it easy. So, sure. You could make same with Easter. We we use we use the name of a Celtic goddess to refer to the day when Jesus came back. Right, Easter. Easter. You know, like they're not even hiding there. You could you could consider because they don't they don't talk about the afterlife. They talk about, um, you know, they talk about the afterlife in terms of people knowing who you were after you were dead, right? Singing songs about you and and, and glorifying you and type of stuff like that. They didn't talk about him going on to Valhalla or anything. Anyway, no, they don't before. talk about that. That's right. Um, no, they don't mention it. So it's it, interesting. It could, you know, it could be some type of transition period where, you know, they still had the rituals of burying them with a bunch of treasure or setting them, you know, on setting them on fire and these types of things. But at the same time, mm-hmm. you know, the afterlife was all, you know, Christianity based or Christian based. Um, By the way, if anything happens to me anytime okay. soon. Yeah. A ship, bur- a ship burial. Viking funeral. Yes, that's what I. Viking that's funeral. that's what I'd All like. Right. That would be pretty cool. So I have Make like sure a you... 1962 tri-hull uh, fiberglass boat. Okay, there you go. And, and will that will that burn? Think, will that burn real good? With enough lighter fluid, I think I think fiberglass <laughs> will burn just fine. Now Maybe you know you know. have to light it by shooting an arrow by, by shooting a flaming arrow into it, right? Maybe a flare. I don't know about a flaming arrow. Maybe a flare though. I can see that. Flare gun, uh, and flare gun that I quickly push you, <laughs> put, you know, push it out in the water, you know. Well, that's why you use the arrow, so you don't have to get close to the uh, to the impending. Well, a flare, a flare gun would be good for about twenty yards, so I think I think I can aim it directly at it. You know? Okay, I think you can make that shot. How big push is the boat? It's, pretty, it's a pretty oh. good sized boat. Oh no, it's small. It's a small little tri hull piece of crap, you know, fiberglass oh. boat. Right. But, but I mean, you know, I don't want. I can't afford anything big. Come on, Dave. Just, yeah. I'm just right. a, I'm a lowly professor. I don't have a lot of money. Well, fair Who enough. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. But what I would really like is one of those large, like wooden, you know, boats with like a dragon head on the oh. on the prow. Wouldn't we like all? Wouldn't yeah. we all like that for our Viking fe- burial? Thank so you. So one of one of the coolest archaeological artifacts I've ever seen in my entire yeah. life is uh-huh. actually the same trip we had a layover in Oslo on the way back. Is and it the, um, is it the Viking funeral ship? Yes, it is so yeah. awesome. There's like a whole you know, hall, there's a yeah. museum hall in the middle yeah. of it is just dedicated to this Viking ship. And it's just, yeah. what an unbelievable artifact. It's got this really intricately carved dragon head and stuff right. like that. Like very, very cool. Very, yeah. Very I think cool I, saw, I, I saw that there was a national geographic, obviously did a whole spread on that. And I saw that, that issue. And uh-huh. I had that one. Yeah. And yeah, stuff. Yeah, it was so one. cool. Cause they, they found it buried in the mud. So it was like perfectly preserved. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. 
And yep, it was, some kind it, of uh, anoxic conditions, I think, yeah. happened to the, like preserve yeah. the boat. That's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah. Tolkien did that. Tolkien had a Viking ship there when Boromir gets killed. They shoot really? an arrow to yeah, oh, yeah, yeah shoot yeah, an arrow to light. Oh, yeah, for, well, do they light it? Actually, I'm not remembering if they lit it. I think they just they set it adrift. They definitely was, put him in a boat. Yeah, I think they put him down the falls. Set it adrift with his horn with his horn asunder because it was cut in it half. Was split by yeah, the orc split. Us, that's right. Split in half. Good. Have you have you ever tried to do kennings? No. Kennings like like it, when you do uh, so like the the Norse would say instead of the sea they would call it the whale road. You take like two oh. words. And yeah. you put them together to form like a new coinage. I used to play a game with my kids in the car where we that was, like that was, that try was to come a, up with kennings. That was quite annoying. I will say that. that was, <laughs> you don't like that? You don't like kennings? It was uh, like the, the swim. What did he call it? It was like the swim trail or something stupid like that for the ocean. You know, he's like, as a little, you know, they were gliding along. Swan, the swan, the swan road, I think. Swan, swan road, road or some crap. Swan like, road, what? the whale road, the swan road, uh, yeah, the yeah. ring giver. The king is the ring giver. Yeah. That was not as weird. I was thinking we should come up with a kenning for a podcast. Okay. Like what a podcast is. So I was trying to think, what did I, I wrote something down here. Oh, you know what I, you know what I found? I got my, I got the book out that I bought, which is the Seamus Haney, by the way, translation, just if anybody cares, but it's a really nice edition, like hardback edition. And I got it out and I was looking at it. I was like, wait, is that a sticker from Borders? And I was like, oh, I bought this book so long ago. It's got a Borders wow. sticker on it. It always makes me happy when I see those. It brings and back there, good There memories. was a place called, called Borders that sold books back in. Yeah. Did you, was there, a, was there ever a Borders in Cruces? No, we had a Walden Books, which is uh -huh. another. Yeah, I used to go to Walden thing. Books. Um, and then there was like. A, oh, oh, okay. We had two. We had, uh, we had Walden Books and then B. Dalton Booksellers. And B. Yep, Dalton, B. Dalton was kind of like the the highbrow version Walden books would sell things like playboy, but B Dalton sold like, you know, really highbrow stuff. Um, okay. Yeah. I, I used to go to both of those. We had, we had one right across the street from my, uh, from my high school. We had a Walden books. And then we had a border when we moved to Tucson, of course they had a borders uh, there. I like borders quite a bit. Cause they, they sold, I mean, it's kind of actually what Barnes and Noble is now. I mean, they sell, sold music and, you know, books and, yeah, but they had a different selection of books at Borders. It was more um, brainy, like technical type stuff a lot of the time. Like yeah. you'd, I'd go and I'd look at the books there and I'd be like, wow, I didn't know about this. But like I'd learn from looking at yeah. the books there. And Barnes and Noble is, is kind of, I mean, that's probably what Barnes and Noble is still in business, frankly, is because yeah. it's more like designed to sell to people. You know? Well, they, they, carry the, they carry the best sellers list. I mean, that's what, Pretty what much. Barnes and Noble does. Uh, but like Pretty you said, much, they're, yeah. they're still in business. <laughs> They're still in business, exactly. Nobody so. else is. What else? What some, some? Oh, the uh, the dragon. So the dragon is basically okay. smog, right? Uh huh. Yeah, that's what Tolkien, I said. Definitely. Uh, There's Tolkien smog. So when when they first go, when the Hobbit first sneaks into Smog's lair, mm -hmm. right? He goes in. I think he talks to him the first yeah. time he goes in. He does. Maybe. No, 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 no. He doesn't. The dragon's sleeping when he goes in the first time, okay. and he steals a cup. Yes. And goes out, the dragon wakes up and senses that the cup is gone and then goes on like a rampage, like flying yeah. around and like right. setting everything on fire, which is exactly what happens in the third the whole part thing, of the Yeah, because he steals a cup. A guy, right. a guy breaks in and steals a cup and then the dragon goes around setting everything on yeah. fire. Right. Um, it's the, the resolution's pretty different, um, yeah. but it's it's similar. So it's, it's yeah, definitely. I mean, it's definitely smile. I 100% I, I think so. Yeah. Except the dragon has no name. Just a dragon. It's just a dragon. It's called. So I was. I have the uh, the the translation on on one side and the old English on the other. So I was trying to figure out what word they were using for dragon, and they used like some version of Draca or Drake, but they also use worm. So there's a oh. couple of different words that they're using for the dragon. How different was it from Grendel's mother? Because Grendel's mother was described as dragon. In was some, some versions, yeah. I think. Oh, no, I didn't catch that. I didn't catch that. I think in mine they, they they called her dragon or something like that once or twice. Huh. Troll. Um, they use troll to refer to Grendel, I think. To Grendel? I think to, to both of them. I think they do call them trolls in some oh, kind of and I'm like, I'm pretty sure. You know what though? That might have been I didn't see whether that was in the old English. So I'm gonna take that back. That might have been Seamus Haney's translation of it. Yeah. I don't know. These things when you get into the words, it's pretty hard to pretty hard to um it's like kind of like translating the bible isn't it i mean it's just it's sort of yeah whatever the translator decided to put there 
Right. Like you really have to be careful to make a lot of assumptions about the book you're reading when you're like, oh, wait, did I even look to see what the original word was? I'm just going with the English version, which is kind of a a foolhardy endeavor, to be honest, to do any serious commentary on one of these without knowing what is said in the original is is pretty difficult. It's pretty, you know, pretty silly to try and do it. I mean, you can't even like I have the New Testament in Greek. Well, no, I guess, well, no, that isn't the original language of the New Testament either. either. It was originally an Amharic, or uh, Aramaic. I guess that's pretty silly too. But anyway, we haven't done anything biblical, by the way. I think it'd be fun to do a book of the Bible for free choice sometime. I think it might not be. I think it might be a bad idea. Oh, come on. Yeah, let's see that. Let's do that. We could. could that'd, do that. be, that'd be real fun. Um, I think we are, we are, at that point, oh yeah, um, what, 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 what was your biggest surprise? Oh, my biggest surprise was the backstory of the scroll and how we almost lost Beowulf. How there yeah, was only why? one, only one copy of it, and mm-hmm. it was given to the crown, and the crown had it in a library, and the library burned, and it like burned bad enough that it singed the the, the scroll that was left that yeah. had lasted for seven hundred years, and actually lost. We've lost some of the lines of it from the fire. Right. Um, some guy. I think fairly recently tried to recover some of what was burned and charred, mm-hmm. kind of like what they're doing with the um, Herculaneum papyri. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're doing some reconstruction of what was burned and lost. Right. But, um, you know, that I just, that, that really shot. I was like, wow, like that makes me actually appreciate what we have so much more. Like how tenuous right. a connection to that past we have. This is like right. just about the only thing we have from that time. And we almost lost right. it. Sure. That's that like makes me like it a lot more. Like I yeah. just really appreciate every word we can get. So sure. that's my biggest surprise. That that really struck me. I guess mine would would have to be what I sort of said earlier was that that this was a real time, and these were real people. Because I mean, uh, throughout, I mean, it, it is a tale. Uh, there's no evidence of Beowulf ever existing. However, the king, uh, the yeah, king, some of the other characters, yeah, you know, most a lot of the other characters were real people and again knowing that even if it was written at the latest 900 you know 900 ad you're 400 years removed what it really means is that all that stuff in tolkien all that that you know glorifying people and all the all the stuff that they you know the rich language that they use so for Mm -hmm. that was a real time the courtly the courtly presence of vikings i guess that would be a good way to put it the court of the vikings really existed it's hard to think of them as something real, right? Because they're, they're such a caricature, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. TV shows and, and whatever else, you know, it, it's, we trivialize them. We, we create these myths out of them, but you don't think about this was real at one time. People, you know, did this. Sure. And, and so sure, this, yeah. is, this is a, you know, just a good reminder that, that this is a real time in history that, people li- really did live like that and stuff. And so I guess just thinking about that, cause I never really thought about, about that before. I just read it kind of as a, as a story, which is actually yeah. funny. That's what Tolkien wants us to do is read it as a story, his predecessors. And he sort of admonished them for this, wanted people to read it historically. Like, right. well, this is a historical right. text. And he's like, no, 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 this is an entertaining text. Anyway. So I'm going, yeah. I'm going the opposite way after a hundred, almost a hundred years of reading it as an entertaining text. I'm like looking at it. Oh, this is historical too. So I guess, yeah, the, best thing, I I mean, guess the best thing to do is, is look at it both, you know, both ways. I mean, it's much, it's much like the Bible, you know, right. it's, it's, it's a story and it's got, it's got a point that the people are trying to make by telling the story, but just by virtue of being a snapshot of this ancient civilization, it's a historical document. Absolutely. You can definitely get information about what this world was like. You want to take it with a great big grain of salt and be careful about what you read like we can't even we can't even determine whether this is a christian society or not you know we think maybe it is you know yeah there's a lot we don't know about absolutely there's a lot we don't know there's a lot we don't know but but this is all we know it's essentially like one photograph on the wall of your great-grandparents and you're trying to figure out what their lives were like from looking at this but at least you have that picture you know it's not nothing yeah yeah you know something yeah you know something yeah exactly so i think that's you know it's definitely a valuable document like a pretty much like you know an extremely valuable document oh i wanted to i wanted to say so so a viking ship burial fine you burn a ship that's wasteful you could give that ship to somebody else but the worst thing that ancient people did and this is not just the vikings this is all over the world egypt mesoamerica all over the place is when one of these guys dies one of these elite guys dies 
they bury themselves with a ton of treasure. What a gigantic waste, <laughs> you know? Like when Beowulf, yeah. Beowulf dies and he tells his people, oh, I'm dead. Put all, you know, all this dragon gold I just got yeah. in the course of dying? Bury that under the ground. Oh, and by the way, the Danes are coming to kill you because they hate you. And they're like, well, <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe we should take some of that dragon yeah. gold and yeah. buy, buy some swords and get no, some mercenaries. No, 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 bury, bury me with it. Yeah, yeah. Put, yeah. put me in there and then put, put dirt over it. Yeah. That's, that's, I think, I think that way that elites once behaved in places like Egypt and stuff like that is like where people have the myth of what rich people are like today. Yeah. You know, they're like, oh, this guy, this rich guy that's got a yacht, you know, because yeah. they're, because, because we come from thousands of years of this tradition of these elites, like just burning all their grave goods right. with them when they die. But it's like the yacht is, it's not like that. You, you buy the yacht from a company. There's a bunch of workers that built the yacht. Right. You put gas in your yacht. You go travel somewhere with your yacht. You not, hire a staff like you, for your yacht. It's not, it's like not you, just a wasted, it's not a wasted economic resource. It's not like it's, you it's, build your own rocket to blast yourself in outer space or something. I mean, but, who does that? As a, but as a New Mexican, how many people did that employ in our <laughs> right, state? Right, right. You know, those are yeah, some of the best right. jobs in our entire state are at, sure, the, are sure. at those two facilities. Yeah, Virgin Galactic, you know? yeah, that's true. At Virgin Galactic, yeah. So, I mean, anyway, but. I got off into a diatribe there, but anyway, it's, it's just really unbelievable how elites used to treat wealth and it's real. It's not, it's not just a story from Beowulf. I mean, the stuff that was in King Tut's tomb could have fed thousands of people if it had just been sold or used. Yeah. But, but again, I think it goes back, I think it goes back to the, what was the perception of, you know, what is a life worth, you know, right. The commoner is worth nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, they really weren't. Um, Yeah. Even in feudal, you know, Europe, um, they were only, you know, the, the peasants were there to farm for me. That was it. Right. It's, they're like, right. they're like animals. I mean, they're like a mule or something, you know, that's, I mean, it's hard to build a pyramid, hard to build a pyramid without a couple of peasants to help you do it. Right. But. You know, but, but the thing is like, that's what they're there for. Like that's, yeah. their, that is what they are there for. And I think we talked about this before with Marcus Aurelius, like, you know, your lot in life, you just have to accept it. Well, which is, which is great to say if you're the emperor, you know, yeah. this is my lot in life, yeah. I'll just accept it. But what if you're the guy at the bottom of the totem pole, you That's know, right. and, right. and you're, great... you're, stuck, you're stuck, you know, cleaning the crap off of off of the Marcus Aurelius' shoes every night? Yeah, you know, it's not yeah. so much a but, – but the philosophy is, well, that's your lot in life, so you might as well accept yeah. it. You know? No, that's true. It's a, it's a good philosophy to, to put forward for all the peasants to follow. <laughs> right. So, but the thing is – Well, that was, like, well, that yeah, was yeah. what that – was, that was the way Nietzsche viewed Christianity. Yeah. As being like a trick to t- give to give people the slave morality, so that they yeah. would just sit back. Drug, and, drug and for not, the masses, right? Is that, is no, that's Marx. Opium, opium oh, for wow. the masses is Marx. Yeah, but this oh. is like the idea that um, you know that it that you you have a philosophy that's like suffer in silence and like wait for all your rewards in the afterlife and yeah. stuff like that. Is how he viewed it. He thought you should behave like Beowulf and like strive for glory and be an Ubermensch. Yeah. You know. So anyway, so. The, we're getting towards the end. So your big surprise, you already told me, was the historical value yeah. of this, yeah. not just the story. Okay, so I think we're at the time where we have to ask whether we're toasting this classic, and it's it's up to you. It is up to me. I have a, I have a lot of power right now. That's right. That's you right. Know, right. I, You're drunk with your own power. Uh, you know, I am a, a middle-aged guy with two kids, wife. I don't. Have, I typically don't have this kind of power. I don't wield this kind of Well, just kind of remember power. that you, you have to wield that power in a way that brings glory to your name. Right. And that's that's what really with, with great power comes. I'm not, I'm, not, oh, I'm not gonna say it. you said it. Oh, All sorry. right. Um, you know what? I will. I will. I think this is absolutely classic. That'll toast. Okay. Um, All right. know, I mean, this is Beowulf. I mean, this is this is the this is the founder of the feast when it comes to the kind of fantasy literature that that I grew up on. You know that that yeah. countless people uh, love that you know Tolkien stories and everybody that came after Tolkien. If it weren't for this, we wouldn't have Conan the Barbarian. We wouldn't have, you know, so 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 mm. much. Absolutely, I'll toast this classic, and I, and I think it, I think it does serve, you know, as a as a as a piece of classic literature. It is very very important to show, you know, give us insight into a a life like and, time. Yeah, a life and time that we we could never have have even imagined. So, yeah, I will toast it. All Thank right. I gotta, uh, I gotta, I gotta come up with a more marginal case next time because there's not, there hasn't been much drama in the last couple. I'm like, do you like Jurassic Park? You're like, yeah, I like Jurassic Park. Like, is Beowulf <laughs> a classic? Yeah, yeah, Beowulf's a classic. Yeah. Of I gotta come up, I gotta come up with something upon which discerning minds could could differ next time.
So yeah, we'll have to. Well, my next. Well, I have the next movie, right? Oh right, I don't so, even know what it is yet. Are we gonna Are we gonna announce it now? But so we'll find out. Now? Or do you want me to just tell me later? I'll put it in the outro. Either way, if you have it picked, go ahead. No, no, I'm 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 thinking this will be a fun one. I'm thinking of I'm thinking of a western. I'm thinking of the one that made that made a uh, made Clint Eastwood into somebody. And the huh. name of the movie, okay. shot in Italy. Okay, so this is Fistful of Dollars. No, oh, good, bad, bad, and ugly. Yeah, oh, okay, good, bad, all right. Ugly. So, okay, uh, circa 1962, 1963, something like that. Classic. So, I'll have to figure okay. out what to drink other than an old red eye or something stupid. Maybe we'll Whiskey. drink something. No, Anything Western we got to drink. No, okay. Ugh, right. Ugh. rot gut. No, actually, I'm thinking maybe something Italian. <laughs> Which would oh, go okay. with, which okay. would go with that could be. an but Italian that, whiskey would be a good would yeah be a that good would be one. interesting. Uh, so that will be that will be uh, for next week. That's what we will we will be discussing, and I think that's okay. controversial enough that it might not get a uh, might not get a toast. So we'll see. You know, I I really do like Clint Eastwood. I just watched The Outlaw Josie Wales like last week. I hadn't seen oh, that one. That's so, I mean I I don't remember I think I saw Fistful of Dollars I don't think I've actually watched Good the Bad and the Ugly recently not since I was a kid or something so but I'm probably gonna like it but we'll I'll try to reserve judgment. We'll see actually and actually coming off coming off the heels of uh, of Josie Wales that's a mm-hmm. good that is a good transition because he made the outlaw Josie Wales as a, a response to making Good Bad and the Ugly Fistful of Dollars and a few dollars more. Um, okay. and we can get into all that, but that's, that's a really good transition. So I'm glad you, glad you watched that. So, well, very cool, man. This is, uh, this is fun as always. Thank you all for yep. joining us, um, on this episode of toasting the classics. Thanks for joining us. Peace out. That's it for episode 17 of toasting the classics for those playing along at home, get some whiskey Italian if possible for next week, where we'll be discussing the 1966 Clint Eastwood film, the good, the bad, and the ugly. If you'd like to get in touch, please email us at toastingtheclassics at gmail.com. Send us show ideas, comments, complaints, anagogical interpretations of Beowulf's third act, whatever. Check out my blog at theattractivenuisance.com and follow us on Twitter at @attractivenuisance. Our music was written by Michelle MacArthur. See you next time on Toasting the Classics.